welcome to Mimeo's Talk of the Trade. I'm Mike McNairn. In addition to leading the sales organization here at Mimeo, I'm also interested in unlocking the secrets of sales and marketing. In each episode, I talk with creative leaders to find out how they approach problems like motivating sales teams, structuring the revenue cycle, and fitting product to market. At the end of the conversation, you and I have new takeaways to apply to our everyday life. Let's jump into today's episode. Hey, everyone. Mike McNary here with another episode of Mimeo's Talk of the Trade podcast. Today's episode is titled Planning for 2023, How to Get a Budget Approved Tactically for the Year Ahead. Our guest today is a recurring guest, our first, Matt Hines. Matt is the president and founder of Hines Marketing and uh, someone I'm really appreciative of uh, giving us the time today. So welcome to the pod, Matt. Dude, when you get invited back, that's pretty cool, right? I did something right the last time. So, you know, it's a pleasure to be here again. Yeah. For those that maybe not heard the first podcast or don't know uh, Heinz Marketing well, tell the listeners a little bit about your organization and its kind of overall mission. Yeah, no, appreciate it. We we help B2B companies build predictable pipeline, uh, really sort of help marketing teams embrace revenue responsibility, embrace the complexities of today's modern buying and selling processes, and really drive revenue impact in their organizations in a predictable, scalable, repeatable way. Um, partners with the sales organizations, partners with account management, partners with the CFO to drive real business performance moving forward. So, you know, we're project-based consultants that teach teams how to do that internally so that that has repeatable, scalable impact for their organizations moving forward. Yeah. Which is, listen, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can help a business, but if a business does not have scalable, repeatable pipeline, they have nothing. Right. In my opinion, right? Yeah, I mean, or, and it's a real challenge, right? I think a lot of companies will sort of speak a good game around that, um, mm-hmm. but too often, sort of the execution is lumpy, right? You have sort of, you know, sort of random acts of marketing that generate some pipeline one month, some pipeline the next, and you know, in the in the in the past, that's been the nature of sort of marketing campaigns, but that doesn't support the consistent and growing needs of a sales organization. So to have those things align. Um, and to not just talk about sort of jazz hands or revenue responsibility at sales kickoff, but to figure out like, what does that look like on a Tuesday morning, right? Landing the plane on a strategy and intent and figuring out what are the processes and playbooks that are going to drive that predictable performance. Um, that's where the rubber meets the room. And that's where you get that consistent scalable impact on the organization moving forward. Yeah. I totally agree. And uh, I'd also say it's probably the problem that companies struggle with, you know, forever, right? It's mm-hmm. even if you have a good playbook or uh, go to market strategy, you know, the question that they probably are asking often is how do we even make it better? Right. So. Yeah. And, and, and sort of germane to our conversation today about planning for next year. Right. I mean, yep. you know, what worked, you know, last year may not work with this year and, and what worked in Q1 for this year may not be what's working in Q2 and three yep. as you know, who knows what's happening in the market, who knows how that actually impacts you know, companies this year and next year, but there certainly are headwinds that people are concerned about. So where people might have prioritized four or five things in Q1, they're prioritizing one to three things now. Yeah. And so how are you honing your message and your pitch? How are you honing your the precision and targeting of who you are addressing in the market to make sure you're still hitting predictable numbers into headwinds of different economic conditions. Um, so, a, you know, sort of refreshing your view of the market and refreshing how you approach go to market is a key part of being successful with that. Yep. Well said. Yeah. And, and it always strikes me when I talk to you about how, you know, passionate you are about it, obviously informed as well. So what, what do you, would you say is your favorite part of your job these days? 
Honestly, it's it's getting to spend time with CMOs and marketing leaders to not only sort of hear where they are succeeding, hear where they're innovating, but also hear where they're struggling. Um, and it's a combination of understanding how marketers are leading their teams, um, how marketing leaders are are becoming revenue responsible business leaders in their organizations, um, and how they are migrating from being sort of a chief marketing officer, which is sort of, I think of marketing as the doing the marketing to, in many cases, acting as the chief market officer, which means you now also have responsibility for what is the market we're going into? How is that market changing and shifting? Who should we be selling to? How do we go to market as an organization, not just as a marketing team? And so, you know, help, you know, sort of understanding where different marketing leaders are in that continuum, going from being the leader of the campaigns to a real driver of go-to-market strategy. Um, and then what that means, not only for those marketing leaders' careers, but also what that means for the organizations they work for and the impact it can have. I mean, honestly, those yeah. those conversations I, that I get to have every day is just it's a lot of fun, and it's also fun to see the impact it yeah. can have on people as they continue to sort of innovate their roles in, as well. Yep, making a difference, right? And I think uh, that's totally understandable. And I think a lot of our listeners could uh, totally relate to that. Uh, I I love a lot of the content that uh, Heinz Marketing puts out. You know, I, I subscribe and I recommend that anybody listening uh, get uh, you know their their inboxes uh, with your expertise and um, you know thought leadership. Uh, you recently posted a great quote uh, from Thomas Friedman. Uh, he said, "Pessimists are usually right." And optimists are usually wrong, but all the great changes have been accomplished by optimists. Um, I really like that. I think it's insightful, accurate. I think it's easy to get your head wrapped around. But in your opinion, what should people kind of take away from that notion and make it actionable? Yeah, it's it's a great question, and I have to give David C. Baker sort of credit for that. Like, I, you know, I stole that from something he wrote recently. Love his content. If you've ever, you know, if you're especially if you're in professional services, highly recommend his book, The Business of Expertise. He does a great Sunday newsletter, and you know, I, I think the, the the idea is that like in in difficult conditions where a lot of companies sort of you know the 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 metrics that we were used to, the velocity we were used to, maybe last year and into Q1 of this year is different than what people have seen in the middle and late part of 2022. And so now as we sit here and do budgeting, as we start doing planning for next year, we're wondering like, what is that actually going to look like? You know, what are we going to go into? And it's easy to start to say, well, people aren't buying as fast or sales cycles are lengthening or people aren't making as good of decisions as they are. Like you don't control those things, right? So how do you then take that and look inward and say, what do we control? Mm -hmm. What do we control about how we're going to market? What do we control about who we are targeting? What do we control about how we position the problem we are solving? With the same solution you have, with the same product you have, is there a shift or a pivot in how you describe the problem and how you in what problems you address? And listen, I mean, even in the best of markets, you will try things that don't work. That is going to be true now. That is going to be true into 2023. But I think the most successful leaders have a balance of sort of sort of optimism and pessimism. Like they're cynical and and they and they're critics of what's going on, but they're doing that in a productive, constructive way moving forward. Yeah. And I think you know if if you're trying to lead an organization, if you're trying to lead a team that is looking at the tea leaves and looking at this, and might very well be scared. Like, are we going to hit our number? What happens if we don't hit our number? What happens to my job? What happens if yeah. I if what happens to my job? What happens? to this house I just built or my kids, you know, tuition that I have to pay or whatever it is like fears go deep. 
But I think if we step back and say, listen, there are things that I can't control, but there are things that I do. It gives you an opportunity and a place to, pl- to, to, to position that optimism and to figure out a path forward. It may not be a guaranteed path. You're still going to have to look at what works and what doesn't. But I think as a marketing leader, as a marketing practitioner, as a business leader, that's our job is to sort of figure out, okay, let's be realistic. Let's not look at things with purely rose-colored glasses in an unrealistic, irrational way. But there's always a path through. There is always a path. You know, even in the worst of markets, people are still buying. Even the worst of marketing companies are innovating. We just, just real quick, we, so we're actually addressing budget budgeting in uh, a session we're doing with CMOs tomorrow. And we actually did a survey just real quick of people that are attending to get a sense for sort of where they're at. And just, just high level, what we're seeing is um, most people are saying they missed their Q3 number. Most people are saying that their numbers are still up significantly from last year. Mm Mm-hmm. A small percent, only about 20 to 22% of people say their budgets will be lower next year than this year. And only 6% of respondents said that they are pessimistic about next year. The vast majority, and maybe there might be some selection bias in here based on who responded, but the responses we had from that indicate a higher level of optimism going into 2023 than I expected. And maybe I expected based on sort of all the dark clouds we keep seeing in headlines and social channels everywhere. So I I was I came away from that feeling better about and feeling pretty proud of, quite frankly, the marketing leaders in there to say, okay, like, you know, to that comment earlier about optimism versus pessimism, I think they're on the right side of that. Yeah. That's interesting, actually. I'll tell you that that six percent number is, you know, I thought all those numbers were were something you could kind of dig into and probably get some really interesting takeaways from. But the six percent way lower than I would have expected, right? Yeah. Way lower. So I, I uh, would and, agree. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and and it wasn't just like pessimistic versus optimistic. Um, I'm just refreshing the math now. It's uh yeah, like 74% of people said optimistic about growth, 18% said treading water this year versus last year. And so yeah, with 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 more respondents now, it's okay, six to eight percent. So eight percent of people are pessimistic, but you know, but the vast majority of companies, it looks like 80% of companies are going to at least spend the same amount this year as last year, and 44% are saying they're gonna spend more on marketing in 2023 versus 22. So yes, headwinds. Yes, this year is a struggle. But amongst B2B marketers, they're saying that we still see a very optimistic view of what the market's going to look like long-term. Yeah, very, very intriguing. Yeah, they, they see potential growth in an ROI from investment, right? Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. we'll talk a little bit about that uh, today. And I, yeah, let's get into you know annual planning and, and how to maximize it. Um, why don't we start kind of, you know, maybe in more broad sense, what should a sales or marketing leader's key objectives be during annual planning? Well, I, I think it's, it starts not with what you're going to do, but what you're going to achieve. Mm-hmm. And so I think you have to start with like, what is our outcome and what is that value to the organization? And so let's take this from a marketing budget standpoint. Like too often you hear people say like, oh, well, you know, here's all the things I have to spend money right? Or a CFO will say, you get this amount of money. If you have this amount, what are you going to go and buy? Right? Mm -hmm. I don't care where you're spending money. I care about the outcomes you are focused on. Yeah. And so a lot of different terms people use for this. Some people call it zero-based budgeting. I call it sort of bottoms up projections and budgeting, like saying, here's the outcome we care about and what will it take to achieve that outcome? 
And there's a short and long-term vision of that outcome. So if you're an early stage company, you may be entirely focused on like, what deals can I get in the next 12 months? So you may have a short-term focus on how do I generate the right demand to build pipeline to get deals closed? A, a, more, a, a larger, more mature company may say, I have a short-term and a long-term view. I have a short-term objective of building that pipeline, but I have a long-term objective of driving efficiency of pipeline growth over time, as well as building brand awareness to create a subsidization of pipeline um, moving forward as well. So now you get more complicated. You may say, I'm investing in things in 2023 that may not see a return until 2024 and later. Right? right, But how you start with like, what are the outcomes we care about? What are we trying to achieve? And then how do we get there? It, I mean, again, like the, the, the most important, I think, mind shift I can give to marketers is instead of giving a line item budget to your, to your CFO of what, where you are spending money, tell a story about what you are buying. You are not buying media. You're not buying uh, channels. You're not buying time with an agency. You're buying business outcomes. And those business outcomes likely come from a package of things you are spending money on. But again, like position it that way and then and then manage it that way. Yep. Whereas if things aren't pulling their weight, if they're not contributing into the year, you cut them. If things are pulling their weight, if things are working, how much more can you do? How much more can you spend with similar predictable results? And so that yeah. from that standpoint, that bottoms up budget becomes variable into the new year as well. Yeah, totally. And I think that narrative is really important, right? And in, in delivering results versus products or platforms, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's a really important takeaway. What maybe do we think? is making 2023 maybe more challenging to, to plan for or maybe different than uh, a typical year? Well, in a typical year, it's hard to know what's going to happen that could create obstacles for you to go to market. Um, you know, even in a great market, you don't know what a competitor is going to do and launch that could sort of block you somewhere. You don't know what new company is going to launch something. Um, you know, there was always in any from for years, there's always been a risk that a Microsoft or a Google or a Facebook or an Oracle either launches something that conflicts with what you do or even sort of signals they're going to launch something that could change market conditions for you as well. Independent of whether we're in a recession, whether we're going to a recession, whether, you know, sort of oil prices, inflation, like there's always something. So if you sort of, and we can really get afraid of sort of these macro conditions that are real, but there will always be something I would, I, I would narrow the aperture to again, what you can control and who is in front of you. And I could be a broken record with this next answer, which is like the better you know your customer, the better you know, not just your target market, but what some people call the SOM, right? Not the target addressable market, but the SOM, the serviceable obtainable market. What is that subset of the subset of your market that are the companies that have the need you are addressing? And, right. and and if you if you target that correctly and if you narrow that in on sort of real time needs and conditions, I'm not saying it's independent of those external variables or or that it's going to exist separate from economic conditions. But if you identify that need, that is something they need now. That is something they're going to need into next year. And so, you know, will your close rates be a little lower? Maybe. Will your sales cycles be a lot longer? Maybe. But if you're targeting the right people that still have those needs independent of the macro conditions, you can still be successful. And that level of precision 
is more important in these tighter markets in sort totally. of when we face recession or face constriction, you know, in a in an easier market, you could be like, well, they'll find us, right? Like everyone's spending more money, they'll find us. Now your need to be more precise at speaking to the right companies to hit your number is more important in these tighter markets than ever. Yep. Fewer swings at the plate, potentially, you need to make sure that, you know, using a sports metaphor, that's the right mm -hmm. pitch, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, you've got a, a vision of how, despite some of these obstacles, you still get to a number, right? Yeah. And that's that's the, the trick, right? Because the likelihood that, you know, organizations are going to uh, maybe downsize their targets for growth or year over year, uh, you know, uh, change in general. That that's not usually how it happens, right? The 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 likelihood is um, far higher that we're going to say, hey, we're still going to try to get to this number. We just got to get creative and tactical in how we get there, right? Yep. Yep. So uh, that makes a lot of sense. And and um, now we'll talk about you know, so you know, you're talking about planning based on outcomes, right? You know, making decisions based off of what it is that you're trying to target and understand your customer um, and some of the outside conditions that you need to kind of navigate in order to get the right things implemented in your planning. So let's talk about outcomes. How do you, during annual planning, either in marketing or sales, how do you decide what is going to have the most potential impact on your business in terms of a potential implementation or an expenditure, like how does that stack rank come about in your opinion, if done well? Well, you know, when we, I'll use an analogy in a slightly different context. I think, you know, when people start talking about like, what tools should we buy? What should our tech stack look like? Hey, we're taking an account-based approach and the next year, what are the tools we need? Yep. I just say, listen, we can have that conversation, but we let's talk strategy first, process second, technology third. And if we want to have a conversation around what our go-to-market motions need to be in the next year, again, strategy first, sort of process second, and then implementation and execution third. And so like, what are we trying to achieve next year based on what the market needs, based on what the market can handle, based on what the business needs, based on what investors, shareholders needs, what do we think is possible going into next year? And based on what we have seen internally and externally, based on the evidence we have, what is the best way to go to market there? So for example, I've seen some companies say, listen, you know, we look at the market this year and we've done really well historically with, you know, selling into software companies. We think mm -hmm. software companies are going to be the most affected by economic conditions. And we see a number of companies in more traditional industrial markets that may be less impacted by sort of the, uh, in, in the economics in the next year or so. May or may not be true, but there's a strategy, there's a conjecture which may change how you go to market. Say, okay, like we're actually going to go and try to sell to manufacturing. We're going to sell to medical devices. We're going to sell more into healthcare versus technology. And if you say those are focus areas, do you have the right go-to-market motions? Is that still a direct sales chant model? It, should you be using channel partners to go after that model? And so that will change. Okay, like how are we going to market and what are the tools and processes and channels we need to get there? But that could sort of narrow who you're focused on. If you say, listen, like, you know, we've been successful selling to all different size companies, but we actually see that mid-market companies are more likely to close faster than enterprise companies for us to hit our number in the medium term, right? Yep. And so how, how does our message need to change to target mid-market and scale phase companies versus larger enterprise companies? How is the buying committee different? How do our go-to-market challenges change, right? And so this is, you know, again, back to... Not thinking about like what little micro adjustments do we make to our paid search or our dark social or our direct mail or our field, yep. but how are you going to market based on what you see? 
where are you making bets on where you think you're going to hit your number and what number you think is reasonable to be able to hit going into next year? And how does that impact the tactics? How does that impact the process and the, and the details at a micro level? Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. And I think, you know, we're talking about, and I think a recurring theme is, you know, being able to understand your uh, market, your targets, but you know, your outcomes that you're seeking, right? Keep going back Mm -hmm. to that outcomes that you're seeking and making plans and investments based on, you know, achieving those outcomes. How important do you think it is to be able to vet that thinking, right? Against quantitative data, like how much of this is kind of, um, you know, uh, objective, in how much of it should be subjective in the sense that you're placing a bet or you know you're making an educated guess or you're going forward based off of limited intel right like yeah. should it be a mix or what's your what's your perspective there well it's always a mix you know right. i think you know you know perfect is the enemy of good from this standpoint i think there's more data available sure. to us now than ever before um i think most companies have a ton of interesting information inside their own tools inside their own databases yeah. but the ability to unlock and make sense of that is the hard part yeah. um you know, I think you can go do surveys and focus groups, but it's going to be, you know, there's going to be bias in that. I mean, I just quoted some stats, but like, you know, we just launched this two days ago. So the number of respondents isn't super high. So I wouldn't want people to like go and like, you know, make a bunch of investments decisions just based on sort of a sort of a quick snap piece of research. But the data you have and what it looked like in Q1 versus Q2 and Q3, um, you know, there, there are some really interesting trend lines around sort of budget and ROI and pipeline velocity at the beginning of the year versus mid. It's input, right? I mean, you know, you can look externally and see like, you know, how are the markets changing and sort of how, you know, are there certain industries that are more likely to continue to buy and less likely to continue to buy? There will rarely be a set of data that tells you precisely what to do that is guaranteed to work out. Right. Because you're not you're, you're still going to have to make some educated guesses. And as soon as you make that decision, time goes on. The world continues to evolve. Variables change. Right. I mean, it, I mean, you look at the stock market. Right. I mean, think about just the irrationality of like, oh, something happens in the market goes down 700 points. And now all of a sudden some analyst says, well, maybe inflation is not that bad. And it's back up 500 points. Right. So what do you learn <laughs> from that? There's looking at what the market tells you. There's looking at what your data tells you. You're looking at what your customers and prospects tell you. And the more. The more you have your ear to the ground on the data and on the insights and even on sort of the anecdotal feedback, the more informed you are. What you still have to make a decision and and maybe even more importantly than the decision is like watching what happens next. What do you expect the leading and the lagging indicators to be based on that decision as well as that sort of go to market motion, pivot, change, whatever and how do you then sort of evaluate what's working and make continued ju- adjustments from there? So, yeah. it's, you know, there isn't a clean answer to that. I think everyone's like, oh, you know, how do we make sure that we're sort of have the highest level of confidence that is you we're making? Well, right. Take whatever you got, you make a decision and you continue to watch what's working. Yep. No. And I'm, I'm I think, um, that, you know, that makes total sense to me. And you're right in the notion that, you know, you're never, nothing's ever certain to some degree you're placing a bet always. Right. Yeah. There yeah. are some sort of odds uh, or equation to, to predict uh, likelihood of success. And I think um, the more that is unclear, right, is the more I think um, people are typically cautious about the decisions that they're making or try to place smaller bets, right, unless they have a very strong feeling behind it. So let me ask you this because it makes me think of, you know, expenditures or implementations or new tools, investments. 
you know, is there a direct relationship between level of confidence and maybe how uh, someone decides whether to go down the road of having a fixed cost investment versus a variable cost investment? And is there, you know, something that's very valuable about having, you know, maybe uh, the ability to pull out or pilot versus having to make a long-term bet on something uh, by way of budget planning? Uh, Great question. I mean, I, you know, you know, I guess on one case you'd say like, where does that confidence come from? Is it just is it is it a, is it a CEO that thinks is you know what doesn't stink uh, and just says like right. here's what I believe? Or you know, in some cases you have a founder you know that sort of you know that built and created the business based on certain expectations that have been validated in initial performance, but then as market conditions change or variables change those expectations don't change and a founder has a yeah. lot of power and has voting decisions. So, you know, so you've got that that exists as well. Um, I, I think it's always got to be variable, right? I mean, like yeah. you always have to be looking at and adjusting. And the last thing you want to do is be sort of agile from a objectives and strategy standpoint all the time. Like, I think I, I, I see some companies say, well, this is, this is an excuse to like an invariable in, in, in some volatile markets. We need to be agile on everything. It's like, you can't keep changing your strategy and your in your objectives on a regular basis. Like the right. absence of strat of, of 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 strategy isn't agility; it's it's chaos. <laughs> and 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 you and, and maybe you'll be successful, but most likely you're just gonna you're gonna have super inconsistent results and a super high level of employee churn. Right. What's more important is to sort of take the information you have, make some plausible decisions on where to move forward. Continue to read that information. Continue to read the market and figure out how and where to make adjustments. So there's a level of sort of confidence. And uh, I think, um, well, what's the word I'm looking for? So I think that there's a level of confidence as well as um, uh, fortitude, I guess, yeah. you know, in Required. making these decisions. It's, it's one of the reasons why, like, sometimes they feel like, oh, you know, I want to be CEO. I want to be a leader. Like, well, it's not cut and dry. If it was cut and dry, more people yep. would do it. It was cut and dry. Everyone, more people would be successful. Um, and the fact of the matter is, you know, there will be some people that choose right. There will be some people that, that choose wrong, but choosing wrong isn't forever. Choosing wrong means, okay, something didn't work the way I wanted it to. How and when do you notice that? How and when do you recognize when to change and how to, when do you pivot to something that is now more likely to be successful based on the evidence you have? Yeah. And I really like your point. Well, it does give you some flexibility to have, you know, variable cost implementations or pilot, you know, the ability to pilot or try in a limited term something new by way of an investment or, or you know, just in general where you're putting your dollars to get returns. But having that flexibility can also be dangerous if you use it too often and it makes you change course. Right. And you don't stay the course in situations where you otherwise would because you have the ability to maybe, you know, uh, make a different move um, because you're not locked into something. Objectives and accountability, you know, I mean, like, you know, knowing that, you know, if you're building like you hear a lot of people talking about community led growth these days. I mean, the power of building a community for your industry, for your brand, that is not a short term campaign. That is not a let's build a a community and let's see what kind of pipeline we get in the first month. That's a long term play, right? That can create some advantage for you. So but accountability says. How do we know it's working short term? We don't want to give this two years. Like, how do we know that we're actually seeing something early on? What would leading indicators, early indicators look like? You know, so accountability on what you're doing based on agreed upon objectives, whether they're short term or long term, 
And then knowing, okay, like if we don't see certain results, are you willing to cut the cord? Yeah. And 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 stop doing it. Or if it's working, are you willing to invest more? Like if, right. if you find a campaign that's working, but you were given a certain amount of money to run that campaign at the beginning of the year. Look, if, if the bank had a sale today on dollar bills and for the rest of today, every dollar bill costs 90 cents. Mm-hmm. How much you have, how much budget you have is the wrong question. Like go back to your CFO. So where, how much capital can I get? Mm-hmm. you know, at a scale, like maybe there's a limit to how much you can get profitably there, but that should be variable as well. And if you establish the right relationship, whether it's from a budgeting and planning standpoint, say, I will cut things that don't work, but yeah. if it works, I'm coming back for more money. Doubling down. Right. Yeah. And I think that kind of brings me to or the logical kind of next you know, part of the discussion, which is that conversation with, we'll call it a CFO. Right. Mm-hmm. I think the term you've used in the past is, you know, there's sometimes CF knows, yeah. right? Yeah. Somebody is inclined, you know, they see these dark clouds ahead, um, you know, per- perceived or, or, or real, depending on how, how uh, you know, you view things. They may be more conservative than is, in your opinion, healthy for the business. Right. So you have these outcomes you're trying to, to uh, you know, work towards, right? You've identified them. You've now put together a plan of what you want to and where you want to invest during planning to achieve those outcomes. How do you bring it to the other stakeholders that validate, approve, or collaborate on decisions like these during planning and make the best case? Well, ideally, all of you are supporting the same ultimate roll-up objectives, right? Like, how do we create a sustainable, successful, profitable business that delights our customers, that, that, that creates more efficient scale as we grow? That's not a marketing challenge. That's not a sales challenge. That's not an account management challenge. It's not a product challenge. That's a company opportunity, right? So the way you position and the way you create a marketing budget and a marketing program needs to align with the overall company objectives. It needs to coordinate and align with what your peers are doing in other departments. And that objective, that story, that direction needs to be uber clear to your CFO, your CEO, and your board. I mean, you get the CF no emerges if she doesn't understand what the hell you're doing. If, yeah. if, if she hears you talk about MQLs and clicks and likes and dark social and a bunch of stuff that just sounds like marketing gobbledygook and has no idea how that actually translates into something that is going to drive business performance. Yeah. You may still need a lot of the things I just mentioned. You may still invest in a lot of those things, but in what context does it exist to drive business performance? Like that's part of the storytelling you have to do. And you know, a lot of a lot of the, the best CFOs will straight up tell you, my job is to spend money. Yeah. My job isn't to say no. Like my job is to spend money, but on the right programs that will grow the business. So if I have confidence that what you are doing is going to help grow the business, whether it's a short-term objective or long-term objective, that's what I want to know. And I recognize as a CFO, we are going to waste money on things that don't initially work or some object or, or some conjectures or tests that don't pan out. That's part of figuring out the path forward. So, you know, again, like if you, if, if you have if you build trust with that, your finance partner, make sure she understands what you're trying to achieve, what you're focused on and where those different investments are focused to, 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 to create impact. 
that, you know, because the the opposite is not acceptable. The opposite is like they come back and say, well, you have 20 percent less budget, but you still have to hit, you know, three times revenue. Right. And yeah. if you come back and say, OK, well, here's what we're going to adjust, but we're going to keep the same number. And then she's just going to say, well, what if I cut 40 percent? Like, I'll spend less right. money if you're still going to hit the same number. Slippery right. Slope. And so that's a bad place to be um, yeah. if you're just spending money. Yep. No, listen, I think, uh, you know, the notion of that alignment is the ideal. Right. And I think in a lot of healthy organizations, that's what it looks like. Um, but I also think that people sometimes have to make, you know, what they consider to be a more compelling or, uh, you know, a more granular case uh, than they, they think might be uh, required in, in, you know, the ideal sense. So, um, you know, once you get somebody to buy in or, or the narrative and the case that you've made is, you know, seen from the same or through the same lens from your partner, the CFO in this case. You know, how important is having, you know, very clearly and closely aligned perspectives on success, right? Like how quantitative do you have to get in planning stages about what's going to be something that we cheer about versus say, hey, this is not good. Um, or is that something that kind of, you know, morphs over time, right? What success or, um, you know, a real kind of uh, gold medal decision looks like? Well, I think you have to layer some of those expectations. I think, you know, you separate the impact metrics from the operational metrics. You know, the if you think about the strategy of the organization and what success looks like for the company as a whole, the company as a whole does not care about your social metrics. The company as a whole does not care about your MQLs. The company as your whole may not even care about pipeline. Like if I'm an investor, if I'm looking at this business, I'm looking at growth rate. I'm looking at profitability. I'm looking at like whether they're whether you, your your metrics are achievable. I'm looking at like how big your addressable market is and whether there's still runway for you to achieve more or are you saturated? I mean, there's much bigger issues relative to like, do we continue to invest in this company? Do we get our next round because people think we're on the right track? You know, do investors see that we're do, seeing momentum and are raising the stock price because they're buying, not selling, right? depending on the stage of business you're in. So those are the metrics that matter. When you're bored, your CEO, like those are the things they're looking at. What are you doing as a marketing leader to support that, right? Like what are you doing to support that? And sort of how do you sort of take those overall objectives and sort of get down into sort of things that matter? I mean, some some of the best CMOs I know go into, go into board meetings. Their first slide is not about marketing. It's not about marketing performance. It's about the market, right? right? Let's talk first about the market. Where is the market? How has it shifted since the last time we talked about? Is our market opportunity bigger or smaller? Where is the market going? Let's have that conversation. And then that that broader discussion, which is a business discussion, not a marketing discussion, will will provide context for what we now talk about, which gets into the weeds of what marketing is doing, right? If you do it the other way around, then you're just arguing about marketing tactics and activities outside of the context of what matters to the business. You have to start with those high level business objectives, make sure everyone agrees on what those are. Yeah. Then we can talk about how functional programs support that. Yeah. I love that. Right. And, and I think it's um, lost sometimes, but you know, in instances where you have a healthy 
uh, process around planning and investment. It, it's not right that you know changes in the market are major drivers in the decisions mm-hmm. that you're making, and uh, we'll call them the, the root cause of whatever kind of prescribed go forward strategy that you have or that right. you know you're putting forth for review and approval. So um, that that really resonates. And um, overall, I'd say that you know planning's tough. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, that uncertainty that has kind of come up a few times in this conversation makes for uh, a daunting objective. Right. Big numbers, you know, important goals that many people have uh, uh, roles and responsibilities to achieve. And you're trying to decide where the dollars go to get to those outcomes. And, you know, major missteps can have a major impact on how easy or difficult that might be. Right. Yep. So, um, and then, you know, the last question I guess I'd have is, you know, you're, uh, uh, you know, coming up to the next year's planning, right? What's the best way to kind of assess, you know, or do some sort of postmortem on the, you know, what can you learn from the previous year's planning, right? Oh, yeah. It's one thing to look at, you know, things, the outcomes, but, you know, how can you identify where maybe you didn't think about things correctly the year previous? Well, I think you, ideally you don't want to just do that on an annual basis. Ideally, you're doing that more frequently. Great point. You know, as the market as the market adjusts, I think at least yep. quarterly, sort of looking at you know, especially programs and sort of where things are going. Um, you know, a lot of companies will have the board meetings on a quarterly basis anyway. So, yep. you know, sometimes you don't see big shifts in the market from quarter to quarter. Sometimes you see some of those. So, I think that's valuable. And I think every business, depending on sort of what kind of market you're in, what kind of stage you're at in from a maturity standpoint, will have different levels of sort of different cadences for reviewing that. Um, I think what's important is is a culture in marketing, a culture in an organization of being willing to look at things objectively and know when to stop, when to cut, when to start and when to accelerate and and making that something that is independent of individual performance. What I mean by that is if you are working on a program that was not successful, that does not mean that you were not successful. Yeah. If you try something based on the based on evidence and, and and variables that we all agreed on but we say, "Hey, listen, that test didn't work. What did yeah. we learn from that? And how do we now pivot and adjust to different things?" That is success if you stop doing it, if you learn from it and you move yeah. forward on it, right? And so, like, I think in a lot of some some organizations, you know, it, it is seen as negative, seen as a problem, it is seen as a potential sort of, you know, check mark against your next performance review if you're associated with something that didn't work. Like, that will kill your company. That will kill your innovation. It'll kill the ability for people to be honest with each other about what's working and what's not. You know, yep. so and if you've done this long enough, if you've had enough at bats, sort of in marketing or business, hopefully, you have failed at a lot of things, yeah. right? But been willing to admit when it's not working and be willing to sort of learn from that and pivot from that. That's in good markets and bad. Having a culture of failure, a culture of acceptance, a culture of innovation around that is super yeah. super important. Yeah, I love that. And kind of as a as a closing point here, in, in that you know, give yourself a break, right? You've you've got to have. You can't just say that. Of course, we don't expect everything to succeed. Um, you've got to actually give yourself that uh, you know freedom and that space to to have things go poorly, and then the honesty and introspection come. Mm-hmm. You know, review time to say, hey, that didn't work, but that's okay. Right. Yeah. Because we tried it. We know it didn't work and we didn't let it weigh us down any longer than we needed to. Right. right. So 
Um, I, I love it. And, and um, Matt, you know, uh, per usual, some really, really great contributions and, and thought leadership, in my opinion, on this. Um, you know, you uh, coming on and, and sharing your ideas is uh, greatly appreciated. Some takeaways for, for me and, and for our listeners is, you know, when it comes to annual planning, start with the outcomes that you're trying to achieve, right? You know, work back from there, but understand what your overall and broader mission statement is. Um, once you've kind of determined what that is, you know, tell a story, you know, have a narrative that is supported about what investments you're going to make and how those investments get you towards those outcomes that, you know, hopefully there's a shared perspective on um, being the most important targets, right? And then finally, you know, uh, once you've placed your bets, validate them, right? Mm -hmm. Validate, mm -hmm. inspect, measure, and go back and have, uh, you know, an honest introspective moment with yourself and your teams about what worked, what didn't, and innovate and iterate based on those realities, right? Yep. You got it. Yeah, I love it. And, uh, you know, if our audience wants to, uh, outside of, you know, my recommendation to, to subscribe to Heinz Marketing uh, newsletters and, and just posts and, and publishing, uh, how, how can anybody listening get in touch with you or Heinz Marketing? Yeah, I appreciate it. I mean, we've got, you know, 14 plus years of insights and research and perspectives, uh, tools, templates up on HeinzMarketing.com. It's just Heinz like the ketchup, H-E-I-N-Z marketing.com. And anyone has any questions or any follow-up for me, I'm just Matt, M-A-T-T -T, at HeinzMarketing.com. Would welcome any conversation or feedback on this discussion. I love it. And uh, encourage anybody uh, to, to get involved and, and take a look at what Matt and his team are doing, because it's, uh, in my opinion, uh, has impact when, you know, you have great ideas, you're open to them, and you can kind of mix them in with your you know, internal organizational strategy. So thanks from, from Talk of the Trade, and uh, hopefully we'll do it again sometime soon, okay? Talk of the Trade is hosted by Mimeo, the better way to print. Find out more at www.mimeo.com.